Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. Take your copy of the scriptures remaining in hand and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. As we continue this morning in our study through Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And before we hear from his word once more, let's ask his blessing together in prayer on the preaching, the hearing, and the reading of that word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come again before you. We give you praise and delight. We thank you, Lord, for this, your word. We thank you that you have condescended to speak to us as your children. You've not left us to grow up around in the dark, but you've given us a sure word that we may know for certain the reality of our Savior in our position in him by virtue of that word. Father, we praise you and thank you. Feed us now, we ask. Let the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, arrest our attention and our minds as we hear you speaking to us now. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, I'll be reading verses 1 to 10 this morning. Verses 1 to 10. Please give your full attention. This is the word of our God. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we, will, we may not be found naked. For while, we are, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. May he add his blessing upon it. <clears throat> well, it is always a great delight to bring a, word, a message from God's word for you, uh, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. And we begin this morning at chapter 5 as we continue this book. And as we get into this uh, chapter 5, uh, let's remember where Paul has been, where he's been uh, saying in the context, right? He's been talking about the resurrection and the centrality of the resurrection. And as we face sufferings and problems and persecution even, we hope in the resurrection, right? From Paul, for him and for his companions, and for us as well, brothers and sisters, though our outer self is wasting away, he has just told us, we don't lose heart. We don't lose hope. Why? Because our inner self is being renewed day by day. Uh, the resurrection is there, and our source 
of hope in the midst of the stuff of life, the things that we go through. Christ's resurrection gave them hope. And Christ's resurrection still gives hope to you and I, even this morning. Uh, knowledge of his resurrection, Christ's resurrection, gave certainty to their own resurrection. Therefore, Paul has told us, their work was not fruitless. It was not in vain. It was not meaningless. In all things, their hope is from and because of Christ's resurrection. It is central to their life and their motivation and their encouragement. And that's the foundation for uh, Paul's message, right? In, in our work and in our struggles, for all believers, we need to remember, you belong to him, right? We belong to Jesus. We are united to him. Therefore, all that you are and all that you do is rooted in Christ and his accomplishment and his work on the, Christ, on the, on the cross, his life, death, and resurrection. And so we pick up this morning here in chapter 5 where Paul continues to expound on these things, the resurrection and the implications that it has for the Christians for whom, to whom he's writing. As we work through this text this morning, we'll see uh, that it, we'll focus on living in the power of the resurrection of Christ. Right? That's kind of the, the theme of what uh, he's doing here in this first half of chapter 5. God has told us through Paul that there's a way to live in and through all the pains and strains and struggles of this life. And indeed, there's only one way to do so. Right? Living in resurrection power is not a mystical superpower for the super faithful or for upper level Christians. It is indeed the life that we are all called to live shoulder to shoulder in this battle of our pilgrim lives here in this pilgrim land. And so we'll see this morning in verses 1 to 10, it's three aspects of what it is to live in the power of Christ's resurrection, right? You'll see it in your liturgy, the structure of the message, these three aspects. First, we'll look at, uh, Paul talks about a hope for home, a hope for glory, and then two, a happy heart, and then three, a holy obedience, right? A holy obedience, a whole-souled obedience. But the first aspect of what it is to live in the power of the resurrection of Christ is that hope, a hope for our true home in glory, right? The hope of the Christian that comes from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And so look there in verse 1 of chapter 5. And listen again as he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Again, Paul is building on what he said earlier. Right? Just in chapter 4, I'll remind you, he said, So we do not lose hope, remember, twice. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then in verse 18, he says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary. But the things that are seen, unseen, are eternal. And then he picks up here in verse 1 of chapter 5, and he continues this discussion of the uh, of things unseen. Right? They are eternal. And he says that if the earthly is destroyed, we know that we have a heavenly home. And his point is that our physical bodies are like a tent, right? They will have an end. That's why we read in Hebrews chapter 1 for our New Testament reading, where the author to the Hebrews quotes Psalm 102, and he says, the earth, creation itself, will perish. It will wear out like a garment, he says, like a piece of clothing. Right? There is a permanent, and there is a temporary. And we see the contrast that's made between the bodies we now have and the bodies we will receive at the resurrection. 
Our mortal bodies are temporary, they're temporal, but our resurrection bodies are eternal. Paul's looking towards the resurrection hope. His hope is not in the tent of this body. He does not hope in this tent. And I wonder when the last time you thought about that, when you thought about these bodies that we spend so much time on, they're not going to last. As amazing as God has made our physical bodies, they're truly amazing. They're not eternal, but rather they're like a tent. And who uses tents? Campers. Campers don't go in the woods and build houses. Right? They, use, they use tents. Tents are temporary. We are called to be sure, good stewards of the tent that God gave us. We're to be healthy and aware and make good decisions. These are all good things, good decisions for our bodies. Why do we do so? So we can be effective in the callings, the places, the roles that God has placed us. We are not, however, to be obsessed with our tent or completely preoccupied with this tent, this temporary body that God gave us. As most of you know, I've had issues with my back for about 25 years. And I can tell you from personal experience, and I know you could tell me as well, that regardless of what you do to this tent, regardless of what you do, it will not last. It does break down, right? It does not remain in like new condition. This tent of ours reminds us every morning with every painful movement, that it is temporary. It is wasting away. So we care for ourselves, yes, of course, but not for vanity, not for, to attain eternal youth, but for duration and strength and endurance and usefulness to the Lord for His glory in His service. Because God calls us to be good stewards of all that He's entrusted to us. And so health is not the ends, right? But the means, the means for that service. So we care for our bodies, committing ourselves to God, all of ourselves. Right? And this is something that Paul talks about elsewhere. You'll recall in Romans chapter 12, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Or earlier in chapter 6 of Romans, he says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Right? So we are to commit our bodies these tents, this earthly tent, for his service, for his glory. And do you know that these bodies, right, even the best of them, even the most fit, are poor and pitiful compared to our glorified, resurrected body that awaits us in heaven? Have you thought about that? What a wonderful, wonderful promise that we have. Why would we be obsessed over this tent when we have for certain an unfathomable mansion beyond imagination waiting for you in heaven. No, brothers and sisters, no. Regardless of where your tent is on the spectrum of wearing out, and it's somewhere on that spectrum, but regardless, know that you have an eternal, permanent residence in glory that awaits you. That's what God's Word tells us, right? That you have a home from God, eternal in the heavens, right? If you turn to 1 Peter, one of the most glorious passages uh, that I meditate upon and I think is wonderful hope for us about this double guarantee. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. Apostle Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an eternal inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, undefading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Right? What a wonderful promise. He multiplies, he compounds these adjectives. It's imperishable, unfading, uh, undefiled, kept for you. You who are being guarded for it. Right? So one aspect of living in the power of the resurrection is living in hope, despite whatever else is going on in, in this tent that is wasting away. Hope for your true home in glory. And I pray, dear Christian, that you would cultivate this hope that you would pray for this hope, that you would grow to look to the permanence, true home that is surely yours, you who belong to Jesus Christ. Those who belong to him have a hope for this true home. And they also have what? They have a hungry heart that's made blessed, made happy in Christ alone, right? A hungry heart that is satisfied in the Savior. It is alone satiated in the Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is the next aspect that we see of living in resurrection hope, the hope, living in the hope of the resurrection of Christ. It's a hungry heart, a hungry, happy heart that's contented. Its contentment is found in Christ alone. Listen to verse 2 and 3 of 2 Corinthians 5. He goes on, Paul, and he says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. Paul elsewhere speaks of suffering and groaning. Right? This is one of those constant themes that runs concurrent with his, uh, his discussion of glory and the resurrection, the hope that we have. In Romans 8, you'll recall, we looked at it a number of weeks ago, or four of the last couple of weeks, I think I've mentioned it. Romans 8, verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And he says, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Right? Longing while suffering, longing and groaning while suffering, while waiting for the consummation of all things. Paul longs for the resurrection. He longs to put on the resurrection body. And then in verse 4 he says, 2 Corinthians 5, for indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Right? What is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Right? Paul says he's burdened. He groans. He longs. He has a heartache from both his earthly, physical suffering and because of his desire for glory. Both things. And as we look at 2 Corinthians as a whole, we see this profound sufferings that are mentioned. Right? Later, perhaps this uh, Lord's Day afternoon, read from chapter 11 of, this, of, this, uh, of 2 Corinthians, of Paul's sufferings, where he catalogs, he goes on this list, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked. shipwrecked. And then he mentions all the trials and tribulations with the churches that, he's, uh, that he goes through. Paul knew sufferings. Paul knew sufferings as he mirrors and he patterns the life of our suffering servant, Jesus Christ. But he knows sufferings. And so when Paul says he suffers, he knows what he's talking about. He knows what it is, what it is uh, to have burdens and to groan. 
But notice what Paul constantly puts over against his sufferings. Again, he constantly reminds himself and those to whom he speaks and writes of the hope of the resurrection. The hope of the resurrection. And it is this for which he hungers and he longs. Right? What is the fountain of his hope? What is the satisfaction of his aching heart? What is the answer to this heartache? It's what he says there at the end of that verse, uh, that death, his death would be swallowed up with life, which comes through the resurrection of Christ. Right? Think about that for a moment. This most glorious phrase in God's word. What could be possibly more wonderful and glorious for us, brothers and sisters? He says the dying, that which is dying, is swallowed up by life. By life, by that which does not die. Eternal life swallows up death for the believer. Right? That's amazing. That is incredible. It's glorious. For the non-Christian, life is swallowed up by death. But for you who belong to Jesus Christ, mortality is swallowed up by life, by the power of the resurrection. What a wonderful, wonderful encouragement for us. What a wonderful promise and truth, in fact, from God's word. And so how can Paul be filled with such hope and with such assurance? How is it that in the face of such burdens, he can be so encouraged? Well, he tells us in verse 5, where he says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Right? How can Paul be so encouraged through all of these things? The Holy Spirit is his. Right? The Holy Spirit is his. He resides within him. He knows the hope of the resurrection of Christ. And because Christ has been raised, right, he knows that hope because his Savior has been raised. It was Paul who saw him, recall. Paul knew that because Christ was raised, he too would follow with certainty. The head is raised and the body will be raised as well. And so he draws our attention here in this verse, verse 5, to the Holy Spirit as our pledge, as our down payment, as our guarantee. This is why Paul has the assurance of the resurrection, because he has the down payment of the Holy Spirit. And you too, right? if you belong to Christ, you have the same assurance from the same presence of that same Holy Spirit. Right? If you are His, the Holy Spirit is living within you. In light of the presence of the Holy Spirit, Paul is strengthened. He is contented. His aching heart is encouraged, and his heart is happy, blessed, satiated, satisfied. And so in verses 6 and 7, he says, So we are always of good courage. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. And notice here this double mention of groaning in the earlier passages. And it's answered by this double report of being of good courage here in verse 8. Right? The, the, the groaning is answered by we are always of good courage. Right? Paul and the apostles can face even death in light of the hope that they have, and in light of the power in which they live. They do not look at what they can see, at the sufferings, at weakness, at the beleaguered state of their bodies. But they look with the eyes of faith to the resurrected Christ, the resurrected Christ, to the reality of the presence of the Spirit that resides within them. This is what gives them hope. This is what they hunger for and what drives their contentment. And this is what gives you hope, dear Christian. Brothers and sisters, this is what, what, what gives you hunger. Right? It's what we hunger for, rather. Hope and healing for our aching hearts. It's from Christ alone. 
And so it is good, brothers and sisters, that we should develop a longing for glory and a hunger for heaven, right? These very things that are ours and will be ours for eternity. This is part of what it is to live in the power of the resurrection. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit within us for our consolation, for our comfort, for our encouragement, right, in our lives here in, these pilgrim land, in this pilgrim land. And then again in verse 8, as I mentioned, he says, we are of good courage. We are of good courage. Even though we would wish otherwise, be another state, if, we had the, if it was our plan, we wouldn't be in the state. But we are of good courage, he says, trusting in Christ, trusting in the providence of God and his goodness to us and his promise to work all things for our good. Enabled by the Holy Spirit, right, in this in-between time, in between his first and second coming, to glory, right? We're enabled to glory in the resurrection, contented, satisfied in our Savior. And while Paul had a great desire for his sufferings to end, right? Remember again, his pleading with the Lord, three times, remove this from me. Even though he pled with the Lord, and he had this desire for them to come to an end, so that he would enter into the eternal state, the eternal rest of heaven, and be with Christ. At the same time, we see, he submits to the will of the Father. He was content to be where God had him in that moment, full of courage and confidence and, and, and content, right? not in himself, but in Christ the Lord. So in verse 9 he says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him. Right? Different versions in English work that word differently. Aim, goal, ambition is good. Ambition is good. a uh, good translation of that word. It means to love what is honorable. It's the dictating factor of our lives, our ambition, our aim. It will affect all that we do. It will affect your sinning, and it will affect your loving. It will affect your affections. Your ambition drives you. It motivates you. It's a gauge, a limiter, a barometer for you and your life. Is it your ambition, brothers and sisters, no matter what the circumstances are, is it your ambition to be pleasing to Him? To be pleasing to Him? To know what His will and His design and His desire for your life is and to be pleasing Him? Is that your goal? I know it can be a very touchy subject because it hits home for most of us, right? When we honestly reflect on these things in our own hearts, and I know that I feel miserably at this time and time again. What drives me very often is not what it should be. It's not to please him, it's to please myself. Right? My ambition is broken, it's skewed and wrong, it's myopic and selfish and fleshy and whatever else. We are forgetful, brothers and sisters. We are feeble and we are foolish and we fail. But even in our failures and in our inconsistencies, we can praise God that we have a Savior who did not fail, but He was bent on always pleasing His Father, always doing His will, and He did so to perfection. And we can look to Him in our failures, and from, our, our, from hearts of gratitude, from hearts made new, live lives in the power of the resurrection as He works in you and conforms you to Himself. That's what drives our ambition. So it should fill and swell our hearts, the reality what Christ has done for us, who we are in Christ, and the promise and the hope of our resurrection, flowing certainly from His resurrection. Look what He's done for you. Look at all that He has done. He lived the perfect life for you. He died a death on the cross.
for your failure of, of keeping that, of living that life perfectly. And he ever lives for you. He ever lives to intercede for you, pleading, mediating before the Father. Does that not drive you? Does that not impact your life and impact your living? How could it not? How could it not? Never forget that, dear Christian. Never let that fade into the background of your minds and hearts. And in all this we see, therefore, that Paul was content. Though his heart longed and groaned and he hungered to be elsewhere, to be in glory, for it to end, stop the suffering, and be with the Lord before the face of God. Nevertheless, he was content in Christ. He was content where the Lord had him. His heart was happy in Jesus, his Savior. How many of us look for contentment in so many other things? So many other things. If we look for contentment in anything but Christ, we will always have a lack of contentment. Always. All other things disappoint. No matter what the addiction is, no matter what it is, any and all idols lie. Right? Idols are liars. They do not satisfy. They do not deliver what they promise. Rather, they suck us into further and further bondage. And what did Augustine of old say right, in regards to this? He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Right? Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Or Blaise Pascal said, we have a God-shaped hole in our heart. It's only satisfied when it's filled with Christ, when the Lord is there. And so we will remain discontented until we find our contentment in the Lord, the only true satisfaction for our, content, uh, for our desires. And notice here that Paul even includes his strong desire to be with Christ. Right Again, verse 9, whether home or away. Right? One of my professors in seminary used to say, good goods make bad gods. And he said even a good godly desire can become an idol for us. Right? can become an idol. And those good things, they still make bad gods because they become an idol for us. Good goods make bad gods. Paul did not let this desire, this good desire, to be away and be with with the Lord. He did not let it consume him or keep him from performing the task that Christ had given him there in the moment, right, in the context of his life in this land that he called him to. And this is the point of this Christ-centered contentment. This is what we see in that verse that is so often taken out of context, Philippians 4.13, right? You all know this verse. Uh, many people take this as their superhero verse. I had another professor of mine would refer to this as the Superman verse. Right? I can do all things in Christ. I can stop a bullet. I can outrun a locomotive. I can leap tall buildings in a single bound. People aren't usually that crass about how they view this verse, but that's the sense for many. But what is the context? Right? It's the very thing Paul's talking about here, but he says in Philippians 4, Starting in verse 11, so we have the content. He's context. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? That's the context of what he's saying. He's learned to be whatever the situation, to be content, right? That's what he's talking about. It's not a Superman verse. He's learned to be content wherever the Lord had put him, submitting to the will of the Lord, rejoicing in the will of the Lord for him. A happy heart in Christ 
regardless of what is around him. And this is certainly an aspect of the resurrection life, a, con uh, a contentment for the hungering soul. Not indifference, not an apathy, but because we are so satisfied in Christ, so fueled by the resurrection of Christ, that whatever we face, whatever, uh, even if we face trials, we can still face them with hope, with hope and courage and boldness. This is what drove Paul. This is what drove the apostle. And it's the same thing available for you, dear Christian. It's the same thing available for us. Pray for contentment. Pray, pray for contentment. Not contentment in things, the things of this life, the things that will pass away, but for contentment in your Savior, Jesus Christ. Because that is the alone thing that will satisfy your hunger. Pray for that contentment. Beg the Lord to give you contentment in Christ, a happy heart in your Lord Jesus. And so we've looked at these aspects of living in the power of the resurrection, right? Hope for home, a happy heart, and now briefly the third aspect as we conclude, a holy obedience, right? A holy obedience. Uh, holy obedience. It's importance and it's, uh, it's need. It's, it's a necessity, right? These aspects of living in Christ are all interconnected. And this need for obedience is tied closely with contentment. Uh, it flows out of that, actually. We talked a little about this already, but it's what drives our ambition, right? What does the scripture say uh, drives Paul? It's the hope of the resurrection and a fear of the Lord. A fear, an appropriate fear of the Lord, a desire to please his, his king, a fear to displease him, right? Verse 10. And we'll look at this verse exclusively next week. But For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Again, we'll discuss this next week, but even as we work through 2 Corinthians. But for now, just realize this very, very important point. Right? The gospel is the only thing that can make you right with God. Right? We, most of us get this. But also, the gospel is the only thing that can grow you. Right? It's the only thing that can grow you and give you a heart that longs and lives for Him. Only the gospel. Right? And so part of living in the power of the resurrection is growth, your growth in holiness, your sanctification, right? to use the technical word. Remember what he talked about in chapter 3. The old covenant doesn't sanctify you. It has no power to do so. It's only the gospel. Right? It's like a ship. Right? The ship of the law cannot move you. It can't move. It's only the wind of the gospel that pushes and drives you along. It's only the gospel. The law doesn't have the power to grow you. It's only the gospel. And notice the desire to obedience is not to merit eternal life, but as an expression of love to the Christ who's given them life, given us life, right? Remember the Apostle John, 1 John 5, 2 touches on this where he says, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. Right? This is, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Right? Love for God is an aspect of the resurrection life. The hope of the resurrection fills the Christian with the desire to love and to obey God. That obeying is an aspect of living in the power of the resurrection. And it's only energized, enabled, fueled, only made possible through the gospel, 
of Jesus Christ, the good news of all that he's done to give you life, you who believe and entrust yourselves upon him. And you may be saying, as I say often, my hope is not strong, it's weak. My hope is weak. I'm not happy often. I'm not contented. I don't obey. I don't follow the commands of God. If this is true of you, you come and hear again the glorious news of the gospel. And you eat, you partake of the supper, and he grows you. That is his promise to you. That is promise. This is his promise. Glory in this Savior who accomplished for certain redemption for you. Glory in him. Glory in this resurrected Jesus who has made possible that God made house in heaven for you. Even as he clothes you and sees you as the, in the perfect robes of Christ's righteousness. And as we reflect on what it means to live in the power of the resurrection, let us praise God for his faithfulness to us, for his faithfulness, the faithfulness of the Lord and the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our resurrection. And let us seek our contentment, right, our happy heart in Christ alone, because nothing else will satisfy, nothing will satisfy but Christ. And let us desire to please him in all circumstances, by his power, demonstrating our love for him by our holy obedience, changed lives from changed hearts, right? And may you glory and delight in the resurrected Savior as he draws you ever closer to himself, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of our Savior, for giving us faith, Lord, we thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you for giving us new hearts uh, that beat for Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless us and grow us and strengthen us, draw us close, Lord, through this land and give us a, a, a happy hope for our home in heaven. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, if you'd like more information, uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, providencefortwayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you. We've set up a simple way for you to give to our church online. If you want to give a quick gift, enter an amount, select a fund, then enter your email address and your first and last name. Then enter your payment details and click Give. And that's it. We'll send a receipt to your email address. To use a saved payment method or manage a recurring donation, you'll want to log in. Click the Login button and we'll send a code to your phone or email account. Verify the code and you're in. Now your payment info is ready to go when you want to make a donation. To manage your giving details, switch over to the My Giving page. Here you'll see more ways you can give. You can also add a payment method, a bank account or a debit card, set up a recurring donation, and view your giving history. To get started, visit our website or download the Church Center app in your Android or Apple App Store.